Where should our thoughts be in a time of suffering, in a time of crisis? St Paul was no stranger to joy in the Holy Spirit, but he was no stranger to suffering either. Persecuted, afflicted, shipwrecked, deprived of sleep, flogged, beaten, suffering a thorn in the flesh, suffering physical infirmity. And yet his thoughts had their primary focus elsewhere. He called on those who heard him to imitate him, as he was an imitator of Jesus Christ, whose whole mind was and is ever trained on his heavenly Father in knowledge and love. Even as he suffered, Paul's thoughts were primarily focused on heaven, on God and his Christ, and he recommends this to us too. If you have been raised with Christ, he says to the Colossians, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth, for you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. It is on the things that are above that our Christian hope rests. If we believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, we can have hope that he will give life to our mortal bodies too, and raise them up on the last day, at the end of earthly time. Our hope rests then firmly in heaven, on a God who shares his life with us, shares his own knowledge and love with us, so that we can live together with him forever. When we make our daily prayers, we do well to make acts of faith in and love for the God who brings life out of death. But we also do well to affirm our hope for heaven, for our sharing in Christ's life, for the vision of God in our souls, and for the resurrection of our bodies. Such an act gives the opportunity for our hope to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, and our hope can be informed and confirmed if, like St Paul, we fill our minds with the things of heaven. Contemplating, thinking about heaven, can bring us benefit now. We can journey well in this life of faith if we have our minds firmly fixed on our goal, the heavenly destination to which we look forward as our guide for the good that we do now and the evil that for a time we endure. The Apocalypse of St John tells us that in the heavenly Jerusalem there will be no more tears, no more death, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. But these former evils have only passed away because of the abiding presence of surpassing good, the presence of God with his heavenly people, with the Lamb of God, Christ, at their head. In heaven God becomes present to us as one we see, one who is for now unseen. I do not mean that the very being of God, the divinity itself, will be visible to our eyes. Often when we suddenly understand something we say, I see. We're talking about our understanding with our minds, not our physical vision, a seeing with the mind. It is this that we are promised in heaven. St John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when it does we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. 
we shall be like him, because we shall know him in the way that he knows himself. In this life our minds have their knowledge through ideas, concepts, images and so on, drawing knowledge from the world around us through our bodily senses, sight, hearing and so on. But God does not know in that way, because as God he is spirit and has no body. He has no need of images or ideas in order to know himself or anything else. Rather, he knows himself through himself. He knows the depths of his own being, all that he does and all that he can do through himself as his own infinite means of knowledge. In heaven, he gives himself to the saints, shares with them his own means of knowledge, floods their minds with divine light, so that they too can know in just the way that he knows. As God knows through God, so the saints will know through God, rather than through the weak and limited ideas we have now. We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This is our true goal, our beatitude, because it will fulfil the desire of our minds. Our minds are equipped even now for knowledge, for knowledge of the world around us, and this search for knowledge can trigger the desire to know what is responsible for it all, to search for the cause of all, to search for God. In heaven, God meets this desire and grants us perfect happiness. The essence of our happiness consists in this knowledge of God. How much every other candidate for Beatitude's very essence pales into insignificance besides this vision. There is no other reality, no finite thing, that can satisfy such longing of the mind, and nor can any other finite reality, not bodily strength or health, no more than celebrity or riches. So great is this vision that if God had created just one intellectual creature, the vision of God would have been enough for that creature's happiness. God alone would be enough to fill the cup of its happiness. But in fact God has in his wisdom created a whole universe of spiritual creatures, angels and human beings, who share a common end in this beatifying knowledge as neighbours, where heaven is a social reality. And at their head is Christ, through whom this vision is brought to the saints. While on earth, Christ, whose mind was trained perfectly on the Father, already enjoyed this vision. He had no need to get to know God more deeply, but rather thirsted to do the Father's will on our behalf. This vision enabled Christ to teach us divine things and to share the knowledge of the Father with us, first on earth by the gift of our faith, and finally in heaven by vision through the gift of heavenly light. The saint's knowledge shares in the fullness of Christ's preeminent knowledge, and each saint rejoices not only in his or her own happiness, but in the happiness of each one. The cup of their happiness is not only filled, but pours over. And so the knowledge of heaven gives rise to a perfect love, a perfect charity, 
in us intellect and will, knowledge and love, are intimately related. The more we know God truly, the more we shall love him as we should. And as the saints know so much through God, so they love their neighbour in God. This love is begun for us now in faith, but it will be perfected in vision. The love the saints have in heaven is a share in the fullness of Christ's love. Thinking about these things should spur us on to love God now, and let love for him guide us in all we do and suffer, as it guided Christ, who suffered and died and rose again. Love in heaven will be the perfection of our love now. The more we love now, the readier we shall be to see God more keenly when we come at last to the vision of heaven. And let us not forget that, since the souls of the saints enjoy the vision of God already, they are able out of their heavenly love to pray for us who are still on our journey through this life. So we should not neglect to pray to them in our time of need. This beatitude brings to souls an immense freedom. The blessed are so perfectly free that they can no longer sin. Sin is a defect in our freedom. Sometimes we think that the ability to do wrong is the very essence of our freedom, but that is not so. The souls of the saints are so free in their knowledge and love of God that they are free from sin and from any misery or misfortune. Seeing supreme goodness as it really is, they cannot will against it, so liberated are they. If we can grasp something of what this perfect heavenly freedom is, we can think more wisely about the real though imperfect freedom we have now, and how we can better employ it to pursue the good, to shun evil and avoid sin, and to bear evil where it must be borne.